This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. That was my MO. Deny pain, numb, and stuff. Mm. Pretend, disassociate from my body. And as a survivor of sexual abuse now, I realize where that came from and why I did that. It's not healthy. We believe that the best gospel that you can live and exemplify is one that is of a healthy, thriving marriage. But that has not always been our story. I couldn't keep up with who I pretended to be. The shame overshadowed and masked reality. This marriage is awful. I want a divorce. I began to abuse alcohol. I was overwhelmed with rage. Here I am, a pastor, preaching sermons that are supposed to set someone free, but yet I felt bound myself. You don't have to live in the pain that you've been living in. Help was so close. It was so close. Join us as we unravel our story of addiction, redemption, and triumph in our marriage. This is our story. You know, when I think about how did I get on the floor, passed out, you out of town, I'm home with the kids, you're trusting me with them, and I'm passed out on the floor, uh, unable to be present, for my children and care for them, um, leaving them in fear. You know, I think about what would lead me to the point where I'm no longer caring about things that matter, like wow. my children and my family and like my marriage. I was in such denial. Yeah. It, you know, I couldn't see it. So when you're in an addiction, you're, you and your brain has now been hijacked by it. You can't see what's right in front of you, what's plain to everybody else. Yeah. So you could see I had a problem and that I couldn't stop, but I couldn't. Um, my kids could see, oh, why does mommy have these tiny little water bottles? Um, I couldn't see that it was an issue. Yeah. Um, so I blame shifted and threw things back at you, um, argued with you about it, tried to rationalize. What's the big deal about it? What's the big deal about alcohol? You know, I'm. I just have a high tolerance and mm. things like that. I just need to take the edge off. I made every excuse as to why I drank. Drank because I was happy, celebrating. Mm. Drank because I was sad. Um, I needed to pick me up, drank yeah. because I was stressed, I needed to come down from my day. Any excuse I could find to drink, yeah. I would. I need to loosen up because, you know, Jimmy and I are gonna have a night on the town. Yeah. And then before you knew it, I was past tipsy, I was drunk and yeah. slurring my words. Yeah. Blackouts, can't remember what happened the night before. I remember um, 
gosh, some really painful moments where I caused uh, you tremendous pain because I literally didn't remember that we had had sex the night before. And I was trying so hard to hide what was so obvious to you that I had a problem. And I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know that I could say it out loud Mm -hmm. or even admit to myself or acknowledge. I couldn't, I couldn't see it. All I knew is that I couldn't stop. And I didn't realize it until that moment where my friend intervened, looked at me and kind of confronted me about the pain that I was causing my children. Yeah. Like, Irene, your daughter is hiding the two younger ones under pillows so they can't hear you and Jimmy arguing about how much you're drinking. Like, she's trying to protect them. Do you realize the pain that you're causing your children? And I think I know I was full-blown in an addiction, hindsight 2020. Yeah. Because in that moment, I could feel almost nothing. It's like the shame overshadowed and masked reality. Like I couldn't touch reality. I'm like, it was just constant denial. I don't know how else to explain it. Like I denied that I was causing the pain. Everything was denial of the truth that I had a problem. And I think back to just where it all began, like my identity crisis. Wow. Like I've always wanted like every human being to belong somewhere, to feel loved and feel like I belong. And I didn't feel like I belonged in my own family with you. Like when I started to dig, I'm like, it didn't start with you. It started with where I was born. Like I'm biracial, I'm African, born in Zambia. My mom's Zambian and my dad is Caucasian American. I'm African-American, like seriously. And did not fit in here in the US with uh, black Americans. And I wasn't white enough for white people either. So it's like this identity crisis I was in started way young. Um, And then if you fast forward to where I started introducing myself to alcohol, I was living in Africa. My dad referenced, I asked him, what's Guinness, right? And he's like, oh, it's vitamins, honey. And he was joking, (laughs) but I took him literally and started helping myself to Guinness. Once a day, I had my vitamins and little did I know that I was literally altering my brain chemistry in a developmental um, part of my life as a child. And um, this was unbeknownst to my parents. They had no idea what I was doing. All I know is I liked the Guinness, Yeah. right? I liked the way it made me feel. Um, yet I had was completely ignorant to what alcohol does. Yeah. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So, you know, here we are, it's culturally acceptable overseas to partake in alcohol. And I moved to Switzerland to go to boarding school because of my dad's job. And 
start helping myself. I could, I didn't know about any drinking age. I went to the store and tried to fit in with all the kids there. Wow. And everybody drank. Everybody drank to get drunk. So majority of the people I know there were numbing pain. Of course, that's hindsight 2020. They were numbing pain. And so I wanted to numb too. And I became a professional number stuffer and medicator (laughs) of my emotions and uh, abused alcohol up until I met you. By the time I hit 21, I had abused alcohol so much, but I had also experienced a lot of verbal abuse from men, emotional abuse in my childhood, physical abuse from men, date rape, which I at the point had not acknowledged or admitted had happened felt like it was my fault and felt a lot of shame about that. But I was looking for love in all the wrong places because I wanted the love of my natural father that I didn't feel like he was able to give me in the form of physical affection or verbal affirmation. When my dad went overseas to work, I was 10 years old and I went and hid under the bed and cried for hours because I did not know how to deal with the fact that my dad left and I'm not gonna see him for two years. Like I took that as abandonment. I made up the script that I wasn't good enough that my dad would go and work overseas, imagine that, um, to provide for us. I took it as rejection. So here I am a young uh, adult struggling with my identity, looking for love in all the wrong places abandonment, rejection, and then I start to have flashbacks. And those flashbacks were of moments of sexual abuse in my childhood. I can talk about it now. I'm not gonna go into detail because we don't need to (laughs) re-traumatize a listener. However, that moment where those flashbacks started coming up for me, I began to drink at that to stuff it and numb it because it seemed like there's no way that that could have happened. Like, there's no way I could even ever say out loud that that happened because I felt such tremendous toxic shame about the sexual abuse. I think, um, if I'm honest, Mm -hmm. uh, there were times when I was like, yeah, just go ahead and drink. You know, it got into a place where, me being codependent, mm-hmm. you know, um, if we were gonna be sexually intimate and, and I wanted you to feel somewhat connected because if you didn't drink because of the abuse, you weren't present at all. Right. And now I felt like when you did drink, you might not have been present, but you were sexual. Yeah. And I think that false, um, if you will, sense of fulfillment for me just became a little jacked up mm-hmm. and my work to do. Mm-hmm. But I remember even um, dealing with some of the things with pornography mm-hmm. because I felt more intimate with that mm. than yeah. I did. It was just crazy making. Yeah. And we were such in a cycle and the enemy just trying to rob our intimacy 100%. through all of this stuff. And yeah. I remember when we were in counseling Mm -hmm. and I could see that because we would do, you know, when we were took sabbatical before, you know, trying to get healthy, Mm -hmm. we would do almost three sessions a week. I'd do my personal session 
I did you not. do your personal session, and then we did a session together. Yeah. And I could tell this one uh, session, um, our counselor, mm -hmm. she was obviously had coached you through a moment, and it was the first time you got descriptive about sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. And not to get descriptive, but when we were in that moment, mm -hmm. I begin to see that what I actually wanted, mm -hmm. you were not able mm -hmm. to even provide because of this abuse. Mm -hmm. And so I, that was, I remember there was the first time I said to myself, I drink too, right? And to cover that up. Mm -hmm. But it was in that moment, um, and this was well before we got good, mm -hmm. that I started to get a glimpse of I can't shame her for drinking. It was almost like as crazy as I was, go ahead and drink, because I wouldn't want to deal with that. Right. But it was actually hurting me and hurting you mm -hmm. and hurting the kids. and Hurting never, our intimacy. Hurting our intimacy. Yeah. And uh, I remember a time we were at, in the house and our son used to high jump. Mm -hmm. And uh, you were uh, inebriated at the time. And mm. um, I knew it and I wanted the kids to see it. And so I asked you to do something that they were doing, uh, but not like they were like high jumping over the couch. Mm -hmm. And you tried it and you hit your head so hard when you fell on the back of the couch and it, you acted like nothing had happened. Mm -hmm. And it was because you were drunk. And I remember the kids just being like, why is she, you know, she's, she, she, she should be really hurt. Yeah. And you weren't, do you remember that moment? I do actually remember that one because uh, I can consciously remember that one. I thought that if I showed you how hurt I was, you would know I never would have made a mistake like that if yeah. I was sober. Yeah. So I was trying so hard to pretend that I was not drinking. Mm -hmm. So um, I denied my pain. So uh -huh. again, that was my MO, deny pain, numb and stuff. Mm -hmm. Pretend, disassociate from my body and as a survivor of sexual abuse now, I realize where that came from and why I did that. Yeah. It's not healthy. I think um, I see the, the mixture of your tears still, still six and a half years. Yeah. Sober, the mixture of your tears of, I'm glad that I'm out of it. Ah, yes. Wow, the pain is real. I feel it. I yeah. let myself feel it now. Yeah, thank you mm -hmm. for letting us in on this moment. Yeah. I think um, for me, you know, what we found out was is like, if the family's dealing with addiction, everyone's affected by it. Oh, yes. And everyone's codependent. And mm -hmm. I remember just trying to, me crazy making, like, am I crazy? Mm -hmm. You know, was she really drunk? Crazy, yeah. You know, I remember you brushing your teeth at six o'clock, you know, in the, in the evening after dinner. And I'm, she's like, oh, my breath was just bad. And I knew you were hiding, mm. covering up from the alcohol in your breath. Or, you know, what, what are you doing upstairs? You come down smelling like Listerine, you know? Um, and one of the things you said is you would say like, um, one drink is too much and a thousand is not enough. Yep. And I know we say that now, mm -hmm. but you were so preoccupied 
Oof, and I remember hard. every date night, every Friday, you wanted Mexican. Mm-hmm. Why? Because it was an excuse to get a margarita. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I would make sure I was like, you had no idea, but I was, I, I would like ask the waitress or um, just to add another shot yeah. of tequila, like whatever I could do to get where I needed to go. And I remember Googling <laughs> if I w- to see if I was an alcoholic, signs of alcoholism. If you have to Google, am I an alcoholic? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you probably yeah. are one, right? Yeah. But I was like sneaking. I didn't want to admit it to anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I wanted to see what are the signs of an alcoholic? I didn't know what it was. I'd never talked to anybody who openly admitted it or actually talked to me about the sliding scale of addiction, the things yeah. that lead someone down the slope of addiction. Yeah, You know, when I think about how emotionally sick we both were, yeah. because they basically say, they, as in psychologists and mm-hmm. studies, um, say that the person in the addiction is sick, mm-hmm. but the people, the loved ones surrounding the per- addicted person are just as sick that was emotionally. Me. Yeah. I was, I was in our marriage stalking you. Yes, yeah. pretty much. And <laughs> like it w- that felt like more pressure that drove me to drink. If I felt like we had a child, parent, child dynamic. Mm-hmm. Me telling I, you what to do. Yes, and wanting to know my whereabouts and asking me all of these questions. You were really trying to not to control me, but protect me or uh, protect yourself. But I took that as control and you began to be all of the people that tried to control me in my upbringing, all the people that tried to control me in my young adulthood, and so I drank at that too. Wow. I think it's um, it's almost you can make sense of why you would drink. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like not dealing with the childhood, not dealing with the girl underneath the bed. And I felt like Hawaii was gonna be that reset button. Yeah. Like, let's go to Hawaii, let's take time to reconnect, rejuvenate, refuel, and put the past behind us and kind of press the restart, reset button and restart in a functional, healthy relationship. I didn't realize that I can't pretend like I wasn't still sick. Does that Uh, make sense? Yeah. Like I was still sick Uh. when we went to Hawaii. Next time on the Two Equals One Marriage Podcast. What no one knew was that although 555 people got saved, there was one who was still lost. It was me. No one knew that the first time I saw you that Easter, that week, was at church because I was staying in a hotel because of our fighting. No one knew it. And I remember walking off the stage, everyone's winning. Let's post the numbers. Let's da 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 da. And I went back to the green room and I cried my eyes out. And I said, I can't do this anymore. 